Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. On the business side, my goal at the end of the day is to try and build the biggest company that I can because I already sold one company very successfully. And the decision that I made when I started this company is I would try to build it to the biggest thing possible uh, without uh, allowing any potential uh, exits to uh, basically influence my decisions. And, you know, over the years, we said no to quite a lot of acquisition offers that came in. And we were very happy that we've done it because the company is valued these days at around $15 billion. And we think that we will be able to continue to grow it over the next 10 years to a huge company globally. That was Arik Stillman, the CEO of Rapid, and he is my special guest on this episode, episode 187 of the Leaders in Payments podcast, and I'm your host, Greg Myers. Arik is an avid basketball enthusiast, Michael Jordan memorabilia collector, and actually gets a lot of his business inspiration and insight when he's courtside. Arik has a professional passion to build the biggest company he can, and at a rapid pace, no pun intended. Rapid is a fintech-as-a-service company that provides APIs for SMBs, enterprise-level organizations, and other fintechs to build financial services applications on top of their platform. Typically, these services include payments, money disbursement, card issuing, and digital wallets. The company has raised a total of $800 million in funding with a $400 million revenue stream and a valuation of $15 billion. We've got a great episode ahead, so let's get started. Hi, Eric. Thank you for being here, and welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's dive in. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, where you currently live, a few things like that, and then we'll jump into your professional career in just a few minutes. So I'm 42 years old. I'm based out of Israel, born and grew up in Israel my entire life. Basically, I'm from the Tel Aviv area, went to school in Tel Aviv been in the Israeli military for three years, like almost all the citizens in Israel. And after that, I started my career in tech at the age of 21 in 2001. Well, let's talk about the company Rapid. So tell the audience what Rapid does. So Rapid is a fintech company. You can categorize it as a payments company, but we actually like to say that we are not payments. We're actually something that is called fintech as a service. We are a company that provides an API for other companies to build on top of us financial services applications for either consumers or businesses. And we do basically five things inside the platform. We do payment collection in variety of payment methods from, you know, the traditional stuff that people are familiar with, like Visa MasterCard, all the way to bank transfers, wallet payments like Alipay, WeChat and others, and even cash payments in some countries. We do disbursements of money. Again, payouts to bank accounts, to local wallets and cash points. We do card issuing in 35 markets, and we have our own custodian wallet that is like a type of a white label version of a PayPal. And we sell these capabilities as an API. So basically, other businesses come on top of our white label platform and build solutions for their own consumers or businesses. And we call this offering fintech as a service because at the end of the day, we allow other businesses to build very quickly financial services applications without all the heavy lifting of getting regulated or building your own infrastructure. Okay. And then is it truly global company or are there certain countries that you operate in? 
It's a completely global company, so we operate in 106 countries across the globe today. We have offices directly in 12 countries, and it's truly a completely global business. Even our revenue and payment volume that we process is almost completely distributed between APAC, Latin America, the US, and Europe, almost in an even way. So it's truly a completely global business. And who would you say is your primary target? Is it small business, large, fintechs, banks, or just kind of all of them? So first of all, banks, no. So if we have one rule in the companies, we do not sell to banks. But we have currently 70%, around 70% of our business is large enterprises and 30% is SMBs. If you go back in time before COVID, in January 2020, 100% of our business was enterprise-based. But since the pandemic, we started to scale very fast on our SMB offering. And today, it already represents 30% of what we do globally. And it's from you know other tech companies, all the way to industrial shipping companies that might use us, but we don't sell to banks, that's for sure. Is your business model based on SaaS fees or transaction fees or just a little of both? So it's a transaction fee and we don't charge any any SaaS fees. There are no minimum fees in the platform. Basically, one of the things that our clients like about us is that we charge you only if you use the platform and every transaction, of course, has a cost. And if you process payments on top of us, then there is a fee. And if you don't process anything, of course, you don't pay anything. And, you know, what is your go-to-market strategy? So do you have partnership channels and direct sales or a little bit of both? So the majority of what we do is direct sales today. Around 90% of the business is direct sales teams, both on the enterprise side and on the SMB side. We also have a channel play that is around 10% of what we do, but we believe that the channel part of the business is going to grow to around 30% of the business in the next three years. And I think if I remember right and, and remember what I read, the company kind of started as a mobile payments company. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So the, the story about this company is funny because we didn't really want to build Rapid as Rapid it is today. We started under a different name. We started under the name of a company called CashDash, which was a consumer wallet play, like a mobile consumer wallet. We wanted to compete with PayPal by creating this type of an e-wallet platform that allows consumers to pay and get paid through the alternative payment rails. And uh, after a year and a half in trying to launch this solution, we basically stumbled into every single problem that exists in the fintech space. And we decided to pivot the company into an infrastructure because we understood that back in the day, in like 2016 and 2017, there were no platforms in fintech. Every company was one trick pony and you had to integrate resilient companies in order to build something. And we pivoted to this platform because we understood it would be simpler for other businesses to build on top of us. And actually today, what took us a year and a half in the original cash dish days can be done on top of Rapid in less than 30 days. So that's the difference in the scale. And can you talk a little bit about what is sort of the, the life cycle of a, of a fintech that's looking to use you as a solution or as a service? Do they typically integrate payments first and then issuing? And I mean, is there a, a, a kind of obvious linear path that they take or how do they make those decisions and how do you work with them on that? So it depends. First of all, on the SMB side, 99.9% of the clients are starting with payment collection because that's typically the pain point of every SMB. They need a quick and easy way to get paid. So the SMB side is just payment collection almost every single time that we see it. On the enterprise side, it's completely different. Every enterprise or even a medium-sized client, they have different needs. Some clients coming in because they need disbursements of money globally. So they start using the disbursement platform and later on they're adding collection or issuing. 
Some come only because they need to collect, I don't know, payments in cash in Bolivia, like Uber started with us by doing cash in Bolivia and ended up, you know, building a collection disbursement and issuing on top of us over a four-year time frame. So it really depends on the pain point. And our sales team is instructed typically to go and find the specific pain point that an enterprise client has so we can put our foot through the door. And later on, we can expand better the capabilities that we have. And how big is the company? Company is quite big. So we have around 1,000 employees globally. We raised up until today $800 million from big investors like Fidelity, BlackRock, General Catalyst, Target Global, Tiger, Co2, Dragonir, and others. And the revenue is around $400 million in 21. And what would you say differentiates you from your competitors out there? I think there are two things that differentiate us significantly. The first thing is that we are truly complete platform. So we have collect this bills, wallet, and issuing. And none of our competitors really have all these capabilities. Most of the companies in the space are a one-trick pony. So somebody is a card acquirer, somebody else is a disbursement specialist, and somebody else is an issuer. For example, Marketa, an issuer, Payoneer, a disbursement company, and Edien, an acquirer, right? And we actually provide all these services in a single platform. That's a big differentiator that simplifies the life of our clients by integrating to a single platform. And the second thing is that we're truly global, right? We're not a US-only play. We're not only a Latin America play. So we actually have this global footprint across all jurisdictions almost in all the top countries. And that's a huge advantage for our clients. Yeah. And I, I also read a little bit about the whole compliance issue. And I think you're, you're kind of alluding to that with uh, the global footprint. All these companies don't have to go learn all of the regulations and rules of all these separate companies. I would think that's a, a huge value proposition as well. Yeah. And then the secret source of our platform is the fact that all our compliance and, and regulatory requirements in every single one of the 106 markets that we operate in are fully embedded inside our product suite. So you as a client, you don't need to know what is the regulation in Indonesia versus the US versus Brazil for, for example, e-commerce payments of digital goods. We actually handle all the heavy lifting for you and you don't need to deal with anything. Just integrate to the platform, start running, and we will handle everything for you behind the scenes. Do you talk more to the developer community within within the fintechs or, or the business side or both? So on the enterprise side, the main point of entry is always, you know, on the either product management side or strategy side or growth side of the business. Typically there, you know, you, you're talking with the clients to understand what is their future, how they're looking to expand their business, which markets they, they see as strategic, and this is how you basically find the best product fit for them. On the SMB side, it's different. It's pretty much developers. It's a very developer-oriented uh, discussion. Try to provide the simplest API, the easiest documentation, a very clean sandbox to work in. And based on that, they basically decide what to buy and what not to buy. Where do you see this, if, if you want to call it payments industry or fintech industry, where do you see it all heading in the next, say, two to three years? So I think that if you look at the payments industry, very quickly, we're seeing that all the brands, the big brands, uh, they want to become a type of a payment method. So, you know, Google, Apple, Samsung, and Amazon started with this with their own, you know, Google Pay, uh, Apple Pay, Amazon Pay, and etc. But I think that what we're seeing is that a lot of other brands are trying to become a payment method that is actually embedded in checkout pages because they have the consumers and they want to monetize on them. So we will see the continuing increase of, of these brands that are basically becoming fintechs. And I think that the second thing that we will see is the 
trying to be to turn payments into as seamless as possible. So the checkout experiences will almost be like when you use Uber that you don't even know that you paid. You just walk out of the car and the payment happens behind you. That's pretty much what everybody will try to achieve in the next several years. Do you see cryptocurrency and the, you know the the ledger, distributed ledger, all those things? Do you see those being making an impact in payments over the next few years? No, I don't think so. I don't think that. So I don't see crypto as a payment method. I definitely see crypto as a commodity that people will trade, like gold. I see different types of use cases for blockchain, but I don't really think that crypto, like Ether, Bitcoin, or whatever pay, you know coin you will choose will actually become a payment method that will replace your own currency, your own debit credit card or bank transfer. It's just not designed for it. And also, I think that central banks, regulators, and anybody that is involved around this ecosystem will not give up You know, the control of understanding how money moves, who owns it, and what the hell is going on behind the scenes. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I, I see it more as a an asset class that you can buy and, and sell as opposed to a payment method. I mean, maybe maybe one day, ten years from now, but short term, I don't I don't see it happening. Are there other trends you see within fintech specifically? I mean, I know you know money was pretty cheap and and easy to find, and you know for the last ninety days or so, that hasn't necessarily been true and. So I think there's some some trends there where obviously their investors are looking for profitability over growth. But you know, do you see any other trends within the fintech space specifically? Yeah. So the trend in fintech shifted more to gross margin discussion versus a discussion about growth of revenue and volume. If you've seen the discussions up until let's say January 22, all the discussion was about show me growth in the volume, show me growth in the revenue. Today is just show me the growth in the gross margin. And everybody wants to see the gross margin going on, you know, in the next three to four years in some way. So that that's the big shift, you know, around the, the fintech space. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about you. So tell us about your journey and how you became the, the CEO there. Like I told you, I, I've been in tech uh, almost my entire life. When I finished my uh, service in the army, when I was 21, I basically founded my first company that ended up as a cloud computing company that I sold to Avaya out of Santa Clara. It was a company in the unified communication space, and I built it for almost 11 years as a bootstrap startup company. After that, I worked for two years for the company that acquired my own company, right? And, and then I left in order to start Rapid, that back in the day was cash dash, like we mentioned earlier in the conversation. And, you know, since then, I've been at Rapid since uh, 2016. And you have co-founders as well with the company, right? Yes, I have two co-founders, which are the same co-founders that I have in my previous company. So we pretty much remain the same team. The first 50 employees at Rapid, almost all of them were the employees from the previous company. So we have this organic team that came in from a different business. Everybody knows each other extremely well for many years. The cons and pawns of each and every one of us, and you know, this is the way that we work. How do you, as co-founders, kind of split up the work? Obviously, you're the CEO, but you know, how is that dynamic having two other co-founders? So, in in this specific case, the dynamic is different than most of the companies because we have very clear boundaries of who does what because we know each other for fifteen plus years. 
So I'm the CEO and I'm the ultimate decision maker. One of my co-founders is the VP of engineering and he runs all the engineering and this is what he focuses on. And my third co-founder is basically responsible for corporate development and acquisitions. But ultimately, everybody understands the structure uh, that we're not equal in this. I am the CEO and I make the decisions and, you know, they work with me and they're my partners. But at the end of the day, it is a very clear hierarchical structure, which is different than most companies that are young, that a lot of times the founders come in with equal rights. And there is this weird, you know, tango between founders of who makes the decisions. In our case, because we came out of a very successful previous business and we knew each other for so many years, there are very clear agreements of how things work out. And what are some things you're passionate about? So maybe one business-related passion and one personal passion. Personal passion is basketball. So I'm a basketball fan, both NBA and European basketball. So that's uh, something that I'm always uh, into. And on the business side, my goal at the end of the day is to try and build the biggest company that I can because I already sold one company very successfully. And the decision that I made when I started this company is I would try to build it to the biggest thing possible uh, without uh, allowing any potential uh, exits to uh, basically influence my decisions. And, you know, over the years, we said no to quite a lot of acquisition offers that came in. And we were very happy that we've done it because the company is valued these days at around $15 billion. And we think that we will be able to continue and grow it over the next 10 years to a huge company globally. Okay. So we have to go back to this basketball thing. So so why the passion there? Did you grow up playing basketball? Yeah. So I grew up, I started to play basketball at the age of four and I played all the way to the age of 18. As professional as you can, you know, in, in these ages, including, you know, high school basketball and everything that's related to it. Unfortunately, uh, due to an injury, it ended up my career early, but, uh, you know, it's been always a big love of mine. And Rapid is even a sponsor of uh, the local Tel Aviv basketball team that plays in the EuroLeague, which is the equivalent, basically, of the NBA, but in Europe. So, very big into basketball. I love the the dynamics of the game and, you know, the fact that uh, it is very fast-moving game and a lot of decisions need to be made, you know, every second that you're on the court. So... The concept of the basketball and the fact that I played for quite a lot of years really gives me a lot of influence on business stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So who's your favorite NBA team? These days, my favorite NBA team will be probably the Golden State Warriors, but uh, historically, I will always be a Bulls fan just because of Michael Jordan. So it's hard to stick uh, to, to being a Bulls fan after Jordan retired and you don't live in Chicago, but... That was always my team for years, many years. And I'm also a big collector of Jordan memorabilia, so it's a thing for me. Okay, okay. That's interesting. You know, when I started in payments 16 plus years ago, the word fintech didn't even exist. And obviously things have changed and kids these days in college actually, I think, take fintech courses. At least here in the U.S., there are some colleges offering fintech courses. And I think, you know, they're graduating and they see this fintech payment space as a a place to build a career. So as a CEO of a large company, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, you guys are hiring people out of college. What is your message to them or what do you tell them that they need to do to be successful in this industry? I think that in order to be successful in the industry, there is a big need to understand basically how this industry works. And a lot of times people think that, you know, I know fintech or finance and building a mobile app that is a game which is maybe the same industry because they're tech, but it's not. And there is really a need to understand 
better. Like if you're a gaming fanatic, you like to understand how games work, you know, behind the scenes in the computer. Understanding also a financial industry, how it works today, will really help you when you get into a company to understand what can be done and built differently behind the scenes. Because if you're coming with no knowledge, getting the knowledge internally is very complicated because nobody ever has time to teach you anything in tech. Everything is super dynamic, especially if you're joining a startup company and not a big enterprise. So, you know, trying to get a little bit more educated about the behind the scenes is always important. Well, Eric, we have covered a lot of ground so far. We've talked about obviously about you and the company and and kind of where you see the future of the payments industry. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? No, I think we covered everything that I wanted to cover on my side. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know your time is very valuable, so I really appreciate you being here. No problem. Thank you very much for hosting me. Thank you. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com, where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well. 